We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. I think some of the people will come back. Morning, everyone. Um, Today we're talking about meeting with God. Uh, Jamie was talking to me about what we might share to illustrate and to join it, sort of build on the theme. And um, I said, oh, it's, it's easy. I'm thinking, it's easy. What we'll do is we'll just take a couple of characters from the Bible. Maybe we've got, there's lots of characters. I thought maybe there's Peter. I thought, I've already talked about Peter recently, meeting with God. Um, You know, there's um, Moses and the burning bush. I thought there's Isaiah and the coal. Uh, There's even the guys on the cross next to Jesus. I thought that's another meeting with God. And I stitched together in my brain this wonderful talk that I was going to do about all these different characters. And, And one of the characters was the character of Gideon. And, um... The trouble is, I just got stuck on Gideon. So I'm afraid you were going to have a talk about lots of different people meeting with God, but we're just going to hear about Gideon today, uh, and we'll see where where, uh, we end up. Um, In his last letter, uh, having said you're just going to hear about... uh, Having said you're just going to hear about Gideon, guess what? I'm going to talk about Paul. (laughs) Excellent. So, in his last letter, what we believe to be his last letter, the last letter he wrote, which is to Timothy, um, Paul signs off at the end of his letter in a fairly despair, well, it's a really bit of a low-key kind of way. And he's basically talking about all the various people that have left him. Um, If you want to have a look, it's to Timothy 4. And he says, well, this guy's left me and this other guy's left me. But I've got Luke still with me. And by the way, he's writing to Timothy. So Timothy is still uh, on his side. And he's in the middle of his trial and he's kind of at this point, he knows that he's probably going to die. And, uh, and he's about to give up. And, um, and he talks to, talks to the Lord about it. And in 2 Timothy 4.17, he writes, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that the message might be, fully tr- might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. The phrase that stood out to me was, the Lord stood with me. Sometimes we face things in our lives that are difficult. Anyone ever face something in your life that was difficult? We face things that we really don't know what to say uh, or what to do and what to pray. And and yet, that's exactly Paul's situation here. And the Lord stood with him. Now, over the past few years, there have been different occasions when there have been things going on in, in my life. And some of the people that have been praying for us, it is their standard response And I say standard response to say that they stood with me. They're standing with me. And I just want to say that actually means so much. On one level, it's nothing. What does it mean that someone is standing with you? 
Well, what it means is they're alongside you and they're in it with you. And this is what I believe God wants us to know today, is that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, God is in it with you and he's standing right alongside you. We know that that God wants us and longs for us to be refreshed and made new in his presence. We know that we know that we as a people, it says on our boards over here, are a real people serving a real God. And we're not prepared to just go through the motions. So if you're feeling flaky, if you're feeling tired, then God doesn't want you to stay in that place, but neither does he want you to pretend you're somewhere else. It's important that we recognise we can't manufacture the presence of God, but our God is a real God, and he's made us to be this real people. So, okay. So we're just going to get a little bit of background. I've used this video before. It's about two minutes long. It was harvest time in Israel, and a palpable sense of anxiety was in the air. At any moment, the wary farmers might lift their eyes to see a tidal wave of Midianite soldiers pouring down from the hills like a flash flood from a broken dam. The Bible describes the Midianites as a nation of grasshoppers. Whenever the harvest was ripe, they would descend upon Israel's fields and crops in vast numbers like a swarm of locusts, leaving nothing in their wake but destruction and desolation. The Israelites went on the defensive, hunkering down in caves, hiding in the mountains, and building protective strongholds. The nervous harvesters quickly reaped what they could and hid it away in anticipation of an imminent invasion. God had a plan to deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, and he had chosen just the man for the job. But God's choice seemed highly unlikely. Gideon was not a superhero by any stretch of the imagination. He was a victim of his society's ills, a man who had been influenced by the climate of cowardice that had crippled and enslaved the Israelites. He was such a prisoner of fear that he would hide in a wine press to thresh his small harvest of wheat. A wine press is no place to thresh wheat. But Gideon had chosen this inappropriate place because he was afraid of the Midianites. He was afraid of losing his harvest and his life, so he hid both underground. It was in this dungeon of fear that the Lord found Gideon, frustrated, trembling, and perspiring. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. No one would have anticipated the Lord's declaration that day. Gideon, the Lord says, You are a mighty man of fearless courage. Where others saw a coward, God saw a deliverer. Okay, so the story of Gideon comes in Judges 6. Now, Judges is a very strange book of the Bible. It's included for us, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's included for us to give us many examples, but there are some very odd characters in there, and there's some very strange things that go on. In the introduction in Judges 2, uh, the writer talks about the fact that the whole generation... That the whole generation of Joshua has passed away, and another generation grew up who neither knew God or what he had done for Israel. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served Baals. Now, the Baals are another word for Lord, 
but it, it's not the Lord, right? So it's other gods. It's other gods. It's giving yourself to other things. And God, it says, gave the Israelites into the hands of others who plundered them. And from time to time, the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. What a time to live. What a time to live uh, for um, what a time to live for, for Gideon. At a time when whenever you planted, whatever you planted was ripped up. And when the Midianites came, the Bible says, they left not a living thing. To live in such a place must have been awful. And they must have lost all hope, perhaps, of things ever being any different. I think God uses tough times to get our attention. Um, there's a picture, various pictures on there. I'll explain the significance of the images. Um, the power of Midian, as we said, was oppressive. The Israelites are hiding in caves. Whenever they plant crops, the Midianites plunder them, destroying them. And the oppressors were like grasshoppers. Now, I don't think they meant that they were about this big and jumped around. They mean there were lots of them, right? That's what they're talking about. There were just too many to count. And we'll talk about numbers later on. Um, and um, in their brokenness, they cry out to God. Now, C.S. Lewis talks about pain and tough times being God's megaphone. God's megaphone. It's a way that he uses in our lives to get us to turn back to him. Now, that, is, that might not fit with your picture of Father Christmas God, okay? I appreciate that. But there are things that go on in our lives... That, that God allows, and you'd think you wouldn't want them to be there. That, that, that it's, not, it's, not, it's not like something that would be... If you were designing uh, Neil's perfect life, you wouldn't put those things there. And yet God allows those things to happen. And God's, God cries to us, or speaks to us in pleasure, but in, our, in the pain, that's when C.S. Lewis says God uses a megaphone. Now, many of us have been through tough times. And I say many of us, many of us work colleagues, many of our neighbours have been through tough times in these last few years. And there must have been times in the last few years when it felt like every time you set something up, something would happen to make it difficult, postpone it, or cancel it altogether. Last night, we, we finished watching something on TV. I do sometimes watch TV. And um, my fire stick... Fire stick. It plays, shows me photographs randomly of that I've been taken over the last n years. So sometimes we get nice pictures. Sometimes we get, what on earth is that in my Amazon photographs? Anyway, so they were going past, and there were holidays, various holidays, going back probably 15 years, different times, different seasons. And you know, some of it was quite hard because actually back then. We had quite a rhythm to life. There was quite a rhythm to the way that we lived, and there was a pattern to the way that we lived, and we knew where everything belonged and everything was straightforward. And then, of course, this thing came along called COVID, and it disrupted everything. Combine that with a few marriages, which are really exciting and joyful, but the home is not the same as it was. So there's been a lot of disruption going on. A lot of messing about, messing with my head, messing with the rhythm of life. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that harvest is a bit of a rhythm of life. 
when they, when they sowed those uh, seeds, they took time to grow. And that would have taken a certain amount of patience. Um, the other picture there, the keep calm and carry on, that's just like, in some, for some of us, disruption to plan is no problem at all. We're just like, that's fine, keep calm and carry on. For others of us, it's like, keep calm and give up, frankly. Now, had they given up hope? Well, going back to the story, the interesting thing is that there was a harvest. Now, for those of us who just go to Tesco's or Aldi or Lidl and we just buy a bag of whatever it is we need and we cook it, we have no concept of how much work there would be before Gideon was in the wine press threshing his wheat. They've had to go and clear the ground. They've had to break it up. They've had to sow the seed. They've had to wait for the seed to grow. They've had to harvest the seed. They've got it into the wine press and all the time knowing that the Midianites are just over there and just about to wreck everything. And it says in the scripture that it's been seven years that this has been going on. So that's seven growing seasons. And six times before, they've lost everything. Isn't that, doesn't that make you think for a moment? When we get fed up, when we arrange for someone to come to lunch and they say, oh, actually, I can't come around because I've got COVID, and it kind of sends us into some kind of spiral because we've, like, the whole world has fallen apart because we bought the roast meal and it hasn't been fulfilled. These guys have been working on something that's taken them the best part of a year, and they know that the Midianites are likely to turn their crop into something that looks like that. Little by little, I think they would have lost confidence. And yet, because it says, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the guys came and messed, messed it up. Well, they didn't say that bit. I made that bit up. What is our battle? Are you still sowing seed, or have you lost hope? You see, the presence of the Spirit enables us to stand against the enemy we face and enables us to keep going to keep doing the things that were less. Now, God meets us where we are. When the Israelites had cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you, from the hand of, uh, sorry, I drove them out before you and gave them, gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in an offer of, uh, that will do, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I don't know about you, but, but one of the things about this story is we always... We always think about how bad it is, what a bad idea it is for Gideon to be in a wine press. A wine press is a place that was, like he said in the video, like this cave. The whole point of winnowing wheat or threshing wheat is you, you bash it about, you chuck it in the air, the wind takes the husks away, and you're left with the good stuff. Well, if you're in somewhere that's all enclosed, it doesn't work. And yet, you know... I reckon he's doing quite well at carrying on threshing wheat. Bearing in mind how 
we've kept with the disruption of the last few years. I reckon after seven years of having his crop destroyed, I reckon he's not doing a terribly bad thing. Because he is continuing. He's had to harvest. He is trying to keep on keeping on. He's like that lady on the pile of rubble having a cup of tea. He's keeping calm and carrying on. He's probably not that calm, to be fair. We get that impression from other things that are said. But he is definitely proceeding and continuing. Um, The thing that I want us to think about here is that our state doesn't affect God's willingness to turn up. He will turn up wherever we are and whatever we're doing. We can be feeding pigs in a foreign land. Think of the prodigal son. We can be here winnowing wheat in a wine press. We can, come, we can be far away, but God is already, always ready to come near. There are many things that can lead us to doing silly things like this winnowing of wheat in a wine press. And um, I think it's a kind of despair. And, and the sorts of things, I've thought of lots of Ds, okay? So it, there may be things that don't belong with, begin with Ds that you can think of that help people to lose hope, but I've stuck with Ds for the moment. I found this quite easy, this slide. I don't know why. Things that lead us to lose hope are things like disappointments discouragements and distractions, failing to keep focus on what really matters, Um, urgent demands which drown out important things. It's a well-known phrase, but it is very important to realise that there are important things in your life and there are urgent things in your life and they're not always the same thing. And there can also be false declarations things that people have said about you that are just not true, or things that people have said about the world around you that are just not true. People that have said things about where you work that are just not true. There's a reason why a lot of these things are not true. It's because we have an enemy who is a liar from the beginning. He is simply not as he seems. When he seems strong, he is weak. He's been released onto the earth for his punishment, and we are his punishers. God's made us to be his, God's warriors. His currency, the enemy's currency, is doubt and fear. Loathing of self. You know, for a lot of us, I think, perhaps you find yourself doubting what God has said about you. And you kind of hate yourself for it. One of the things that comes through from this story is how faithful God is at meeting Gideon, every time he has a doubt. Because our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. We might not be, but he is. And I want you to catch that this morning. He can find, God can find a way into us. Be clear on your destination. Who's in charge? What has God said? Where has he promised to take you? A while back, in the time of uh, in the time when we were in lockdown, I was reading the Bible in one year, uh, which is kind of what you have to be doing to come across some of the verses in the Bible, because otherwise we tend to, or what I mean by that is reading in a systematic way, because otherwise we tend to go for, to the Bible's greatest hits, 
and we tend to go to the verses that we remember, which are not necessarily all the verses that are used in the Bible, surprisingly. And there's a verse in Hosea 2.17 that particularly stood out to me, talking about the restoration of Israel. And God says, I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor, a door of hope. Now, the word Achor is a, is a place that means trouble. And time and time again, I believe, God is facing us with that choice. Where we've got trouble in our lives, where there's something that is not going right, where there's something that we are struggling with, God wants to change that thing of trouble into a, a doorway to his blessing, a doorway of hope. Here, for, for Gideon, there is a doorway of hope about to appear because God is meeting with him through the angel. God says, the very thing that's holding you back could be a doorway to my blessing. Think of the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. Joseph is thrown into, into pits and sold into slavery. And yet, at the very end of it, we discover that God intended something of purpose in Joseph's life, that if his brothers hadn't betrayed him, thrown him away, God would never have been able to save the lives that were saved through him. I believe God wants us to know that whatever's happening, whatever's happening, God wants to use it for his hope, to restore hope. So last week we talked about when we meet with God, one of the most important things is to be honest. And here we see that that's exactly what happens. In Judges 6, 11, uh, the angel of the Lord is sitting down under this tree and the angel appears to Gideon in verse 12 and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, always a good way to respond to God when he speaks to you is with a but. But it's what he does. But sir, Gideon replies, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon is completely open and honest before God. He doesn't have to use the right words when he prays. He doesn't have to dress it up. And the reality is, if you find yourself doing that, God knows it anyway. He accuses God of abandoning them. In the face of, remember the prophet has just said, did I not bring you out of Egypt? Has just gone through this whole thing. So what, what he's actually doing is quoting back to God those very words that God has used to him and said, well, you might have done that, but I haven't seen it. He doubts his own strength and his family. God doesn't base our calling on our position or our abilities 
God requires our obedience to walk with him and the strength that we have. If you're lost and feeling far off, there isn't a plan B. Tell him how you feel. Give him your anger, give him your frustration, because he sees it anyway. See, the basis of Gideon's strength, God says, is that I've sent you. He promises to be with him. And he promises that they'll be working together. And finally, he gives him peace. And I think what I want us to think about this morning is that is true for us. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, God is sending you into the situation that you have in front of you. It's not an accident that you are facing the things that you are facing. It's not a happen chance of life. But rather, God has put you in the middle of that place of work, in the middle of that street, in the middle of that family, to make a difference and to bring his word. And he promises to be with us, to stand with us. And he promises that it's not going to be us on our own, but he's going to be working with us. The verses say in verse 22, when Gideon realised it was the angel of the Lord, he says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But But the Lord says to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abyssites. Working together starts at the point that God sends the angel to speak with him. And it continues as Gideon asks questions. And then as God gives him things to do. I think that we need to understand that working together is not being just a puppet but it's something where we are engaged. God wants to relate with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to tell him where you're at. And as we do that, so he changes us. And you see, when God meets with us, something has to change. The same night, God gives him instructions on destroying the altar to the Ashtaroth in his father's house. So uh, in his father's house, he would have had, uh, they worshipped God, but they also worshipped other things. And what Agidian has to do is to cut down this statue, this, this pagan image, uh, and destroy his altar. Um, now, he was afraid of his family, and so Gideon knows that God's spoken to him. He knows he's supposed to get on to do it, but he does it at night. You know, even after God meets with us, we're still the same person. You know, um, people think that Timothy in the New Testament was timid. It's a sort of timid Tim. Um, if you look at what Paul writes to Tim, Timothy, it's quite a lot of it is about well, owning, owning the truth that God's given him, uh, about not letting people look down on him because he's young. Well, we, we need voices like that into our lives. But you know what? I think Timothy was still Timothy. It's great if we can be bold, but some people need to have 
a, a process that they go through before they feel confident and know what God has done. And God is faithful in that. So he gets on and he chops down the thing. He does the thing he's been asked to do. He destroys it completely. And um, the men of the town get really angry and say to Gideon's father, Josh, you need to come and deal with your son. Look what he's done. He's destroyed uh, your household god. He's destroyed his altar. You need to deal with him. And what his father says is something very wise. His father says, well, actually, I think that Asherah should deal with his own issues, basically. He says, uh, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself. And when someone breaks down his... He can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And so to that day, they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, let God... Let uh, Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. You see... The point, the point I'm, I'm getting at here is that Gideon is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, been, he's met with God. He's urgently getting on with the stuff that God has given him to do. But actually, there's still a lot of timidity. There's still a lot of fear. And yet God does put around him people that understand what is going on. So things change, but we're still us. Now, the Midianites... The Amalekites and the other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. This is really bad news, guys. So just like in the video when we saw the mountains turning grey, he has been threshing his wheat in the wine press. God's told him, I'm with you, mighty warrior. He's chopped down a few statues, which he might have thought wouldn't do him any harm at all. And right now, the enemy forces are now gathering all around, and they're getting ready for what's just happened in the last six years, every single year. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon, and he blows a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms. And Gideon said to God, if you're going to, raise, if you're going to uh, save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I'm going to place a fleece on the ground... And I'm asking you to, to, to if, it, if it is really you, um, let the dew be on the fleece in the morning, but not on the ground. And then God does this to confirm it. And then the next day he says, well, actually, Lord, what I'd really like to know is really know that you really, really want me to do this. And then he asks for it the other way around. He wants the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. Now, at this point, you might think that God would run out of patience with him, but he doesn't. He continues to do what Gideon is asking. Now, I'm not advocating you put your jumper in your back garden tonight, all right? It probably is not a great way of hearing God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us in a different way. But what I am saying is that when God speaks to us, we shouldn't expect it to be a one-off. God speaks to us and confirms his word many, many times. We don't, we don't just need to wake up one morning and think, oh, God's spoken to me. I must write that down in case he never says it again. There is a preciousness about his word, but there is a persistence about his word. He's not waiting for us to get it wrong. He doesn't whisper it in the morning when, when we're busily brushing our teeth. And then, uh, well, it's probably a good time. Probably many of us experience those moments. But it's not like, oh, well, you've forgotten it, therefore... I'm going to set you up for a fail. Yeah? God is faithful when things are truly from him 
It's not a battle to remember. When God speaks to us, it resonates in our heart. People sometimes talk about, I've been carrying a word for this situation. We don't find it hard to remember those words that we're carrying. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a weight that comes. And it's not in the language. And it's not in the length. It's a something which God does in our spirit. And we know that God is speaking. So even though he's had this encounter with the Almighty God, even though the Holy Spirit is encountering him, he's still looking for a confirming sign. God has the same patience with us. Right, now, he's got a bad situation, but it's about to get worse. So, God looks at his army, probably too small a print for you to read, but basically, God looks at his army and says, actually... you've got too many soldiers there, I want to lose some of your soldiers. So he says, he gives them the opportunity, um, do do you want to give up or do you want to come with me? And uh, 22,000 leave and 10,000 remain. So he's lost immediately two-thirds of his force, right? And then God says, I'm going to whittle it down a bit further. And they go and get a drink and some of them are putting their faces in the water, and some are cupping the water in their hands. And God says, let's have those that are cupping the water in their hands in your army. Now, you might think that would be like a 50-50 thing, but he starts with 10,000, and he ends up with 300. Only 300 people are now left. Gideon is timid. Gideon is not sure whether he can do this thing. He doubts whether God is speaking to him. He's asking for confirmation. And right now, God has reduced his strength to zero. Just to, I used this before, right? But just to get you thinking about it, at the start, Gideon's army is in yellow and each dot is 100 men, right? And then in red, uh, we've got the uh, Midianite army, right? So at the beginning, that's the odds. Now, I don't reckon that looks very hopeful. So God comes along and we let some people go home and we're left with that many. And then, when they've finished drinking the water, they're left with that many. <laughs> Why does God do that to him? It's like, it's like he's already a bit scared. He's already saying, I don't think I can do this thing that you've asked me to do. He's already, oh, well, no, he's not really saying that, but he's saying, are you really sure? Is this really, are you really going to do it? And then God takes away every strength, pretty much, that he's got to show him that it's not going to be about Gideon. It's not going to be about the soldiers. It's going to be about his willingness to walk in obedience to what he says. You see, actually, that's the situation. It's Gideon's army of 300 men and God. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tent and kept about 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Gosh, that is a... <laughs> How does that even work? Oh, so uh, that, that must have been a bit inconvenient to carry all those trumpets, but maybe there, were, maybe there weren't 10,000 trumpets to start off with. Anyway, we'll just, we'll just worry about that later. So during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, oh, um, yeah, get, uh, during the night, God said to Gideon, uh, get up and go down to the camp because I'm giving... Uh, going to give it into your hands. But if you're afraid to the attack, because he knows Gideon, uh, why don't you go down to the camp 
with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. And uh, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley as thick as locusts, and their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. This is not looking good, guys. So, the enemy is not as he seems. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have some very weird dreams I'm not about to tell you, but this sounds like one of my dreams. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and it struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. This is nothing to do with the church holiday. Just, just in case you're wondering, okay, I don't want anyone having nightmares. So he has this dream. Now, I like to tell my wife my dreams, and I tell my wife my dreams, and she says, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Invariably, no comment, no discussion. It's like, it's like you're, just, you're, you're just saying things, and she's like, what, why are you even telling me? It's just pointless. It's not real. And she's like, well, it means something to me, but I don't know what yet. So anyway, he tells his friend, he doesn't say, oh, I, never mind, I don't want to know. He actually says... This is nothing other than the sword of Gideon. doesn't look like a sword, does it? This is nothing other than, other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, remember, the situation is, well, as far as anyone looks, looking from the outside, is this, right? So we've got one of the reds, well, actually, a hundredth of one of the reds, saying, this is, this is Joash, uh, sorry, this is Gideon, son of Joash. He's going to take the whole of us and actually it really doesn't look uh, like that is going to be successful so Gideon heard the dream and the interpretation immediately he worshipped God and he and he realizes that God really is doing it and he gives them this strategy rather strange strategy it's all to do with carrying uh, carry, has, they all have to carry uh, torches, uh, flaming torches. They carry them in jars. They've got a sword. And they march around the camp, and then they all drop the jars and wave the torches and their swords at the same time. And suddenly, what happens is the enemy turns on itself and starts killing each other. How do you fight a battle with an army that is so much bigger than you? You get them to hurt one another, don't you? I mean, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other and their swords. And, um, and Gideon sent messages throughout the hill country of, the, of, of, of Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all of the men of Ephraim were called out and they took the waters of Jordan as far as, far as Beth Barah. And they also captured two of the leaders, Oreb and Zeb. So, so I suppose the point I'm, I'm getting at here is that this whole thing happens, and it's amazing, and it happens because God has met with Gideon, and he changes him, but he works with him where he is. So some of us expect it to be, because we're in the microwave generation, we expect to be able to, sort of 30 seconds later, we walk off and we just do these different things. There is a faith journey for many of us. When we meet with God, it's a, the start of a whole new relationship with him. 
I think every time we meet with God, he adjusts us, he changes us. We are not the same. You know, um, there is a saying isn't that we used to talk about, but you know, coming to church doesn't make us a Christian. Standing in a garage doesn't make us a car. God wants us to be in relationship with him. Maybe you're around, maybe you've been around, maybe you like the relationships you have within the church. But God wants us to relate with him. And, and I believe that that's one of the things that God's given me this morning, is that however you are and however you have been up until this point, there is nothing like meeting with God. And he's right here. We might be in a wine press, but he's right here. His messenger, his Holy Spirit, is right alongside us, and he wants to meet with us. And the, the second sort of thing I want us to think about is, is that perhaps you started well, but you're running tired. And there's a tension between these two kind of perspectives I want us to have in mind. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 that um, to, to instruct the, the church to remember what they were when they were called. In other words, there was nothing special about you and me when God called us. He didn't call us because we applied with our CV, with our qualifications. We didn't have to have uh, so many CSEs in woodwork or metalwork or uh, physics or any other some such subjects. God called us because we were, we were ready, we were willing, and we were listening. And the second thing is that in that remembering, there is a something else for us to go towards. There is, an, there's a, a, there is a pursuit of the thing that God has called us to. So it's not enough to, to settle for, well, I'm always going to be timid, I'm always going to be like this. No, there is a something which God has called us to. And there is that tension, uh, and it should be a healthy tension in you to remember both those things, that there is a great thing that God has called you to. A great thing. And where we're at right now isn't it. But it was never about what we could achieve that God called us for. So meeting with God... He corrects our vision. He brings, so for Gideon, he brings revelation about the army. He purifies and prepares us. He gets rid of those false gods. He restores what's been damaged and he begins a process of overcoming his fears. He gives us peace, courage, and strength, you know, to fight when he blows the trumpet and he anoints us for what's to come. You know, God is saying that he has sent us, that he's going to be with us, that he's going to be working with you, and he's going to give you peace so you can fight. So you are the mighty warrior of fearless courage. However you feel, you really are that mighty warrior of fearless courage. When God looked at Gideon... He must have had a bit of a... There was a bit of a sense of humour about it. But you know what? 
God met him over and over again in that place. And I, I, I just want us to now, let's just, let's, just, let's just pray. Can we just pray? Let's remember that his spirit is right here. He's right alongside us. Lord, we, we thank you that you met with Gideon in this amazing way. And we see in your walk with him how faithful you were to him to bring your word again and again. Will bring us into that place of confidence that knows your word in our lives. Bring us through to that new place of confidence. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us now? Lord, you promise that we are as as we turn to you, you promise, as we come near to you, Lord, that you will come near to us. Someone once said that we're as near to God as we choose to be. Lord, we choose to come near this morning. If you've never taken that step of surrendering your life to Jesus, I'd really like to pray for you. Jesus is our Lord and Saviour. He's paid the price. But he wants to take us, take us by the hand into the things he has for us. There's no qualification save for his calling. If you've had that sense of God stirring you for something more, then I'd just like you to indicate to me. Can you just put your hand up and I'd like to pray for you? Okay. 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 Thank you. Lord, we come to you now. Lord, we're looking for something more. We want to be a real people. We're bearing our sorrow before you, our grieving. But Lord, we know that you have the words of life. Would you stir now those that are responding to you? Fill them again with your Holy Spirit. Let your Spirit come right now into this room. Let your Spirit rest in our spirit, in our hearts, Lord. Let, let there be that overflow. Come to me and drink, says Jesus, all who are thirsty. Lord, we drink. Lord, we, we choose to do that. We choose to turn our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, blessed be your name. Let your spirit move, Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. 
We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.